All right, so this is the sermon I was going to preach uh, right after Thanksgiving. And I ended up not coming the week after Thanksgiving because we had a COVID exposure. No, no big deal. We didn't get sick. Everything was fine. Uh, but we just wanted to make sure that we were keeping everybody safe. So my family stayed home. You guys watched an awkward video of me on the screens. And sorry about that, by the way. Um, but that's, what, that's what the way it needed to be that week. Um, but we're going to get back into 2 Corinthians today after uh, about five Sundays or so outside, out of it. Um, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. But because we left off so long ago, uh, we got to do some, some backtracking, some, uh, just to kind of remind us of where we're at. So chapters 8 and 9 are really one continuous thing uh, where, where Paul's dealing with one issue. And the issue has to do with um, generosity uh, and the Corinthians needing to give money that they had committed to give uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so, so Paul is writing this letter in advance of him coming down to Corinth on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way, he's going to stop there, pick up the gift that the church raised to, to then deliver to the church in Jerusalem, which was under extreme financial pressure and struggle. That's the context. And so what Paul's doing in these, in these two passages is he's calling them to be generous people. He's actually, men, he mentions here that he, he's already talked to them over a year ago before writing this letter. So they already knew that they needed to raise money. They had already committed to raising money. And um, he's basically following up with them and saying, okay, we, we gotta, we're going to actually come through and we need you guys to be ready when we get there. But what we talked about um, like a month ago in chapter 8 was, was that this, this, these chapters, which do deal with the issue of money, really are not ultimately about money. They're, they're not ultimately about money. They're ultimately about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. And here's the thing, Paul is talking about Christ and the generosity of Jesus Christ, particularly in coming into the world, leaving the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth, to, to live in a human body, to, to live as one of his creatures, and that he literally gave up everything to the point of death for us in this. And so, because Paul says that's what Jesus did for us, then it's a little thing, really, for us to give some of our money away to help others. So it's not really about money as much as it's about being uh, convicted of who Christ is and what he's done and then living out those realities. So chapter 8 um, showed us three things. We'll, we'll recap the three main points here. Um, it showed us that generosity flows from our relationship with Jesus that's where generosity comes from, being in relationship with Christ. Secondly, it showed us that generosity ultimately is demonstrated to us by Jesus as he came into the world and, and lived uh, among us and died on the cross. And then thirdly, that generosity is about not just money, but giving of time and giving of our spiritual gifts. So those are kind of the three main arguments Paul makes in chapter 8. Now, as we get into chapter 9 today, with, with the recap behind us here, we're going to see a few more things. But 
but Paul's not writing this in like a, uh, in a way that's like teachy. He's really just talking to these people because he has relationships with them. So he's just writing to them like you would write someone an email kind of informally and saying, here's what needs to happen. So here, chapter 9 is really where he's going to start pressing in on the application of what uh, generosity means in light of Christ. And he's going to take us through three things. He's going to walk us through first the integrity of being generous, the integrity of generosity, what that means. The second thing he's going to touch on is the motivation for our generosity. And then he's going to talk about the result of our generosity, what what happens as we live generous lives. Okay, so uh, let's start. The first uh, point is the integrity of generosity. It's in verse 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, or otherwise you can just listen in, uh, here's what it says. Now it is superfluous, or that's a fancy word for unnecessary, It is now superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Achaia is another uh, term for Corinth, the region. It's It's the regional area that Corinth was in. Corinth was a city within Achaia. So he says, Uh, I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that you may so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. An exaction means like extortion. Okay? So All right. <laughs> I love this because Paul Paul is talking to real people in a real place at a real time. And what he's saying is this, uh, you guys promised a year ago that you would give some money to the church in Jerusalem and you better come through because otherwise you're going to embarrass me. <laughs> like Paul's actually a human being and I love it. <laughs> like He's like, you, you guys, I've been talking you up. I've been boasting about you to the people in Macedonia. Macedonia was another region that he mentioned back in chapter 8 as well. Macedonia would have had churches uh, you're familiar with from the scriptures, uh, like Berea, which is mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, Philippi was in Macedonia, and Thessalonica was in Macedonia. So here's these churches that are familiar to us because of books of the Bible. And he's uh, up there uh, talking to them, and he mentions back in chapter 8 that the Macedonian Christians were giving really powerfully, not because they had a lot of money, but actually the opposite was true. They, had, they were dirt poor, and yet they were incredibly inspired by the need in Jerusalem that they were willing to give up even their own livelihoods for the sake of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. 
I mean, just in, the, in, just in what we just talked about a few minutes ago, the Macedonians were willing to give beyond their means financially to, and they would suffer as a result for the good of these other Christians. That's convicting. But that's what the gospel produces in us, right? It's a willingness to be uh, inconvenienced. In other words, love makes us do things that are difficult by definition, we, love makes us do things that are, that are unpleasant. To love someone means that we, we sacrifice for them. And so here you have the Macedonian Christians being willing to do that. Um, and now Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth and saying, guys, I've been talking about you and I've been encouraging them through your, genero- or through your at least lip service to generosity, but you need to show up and you need to actually follow through. You need to do it, right? He says um, that he's sending the brothers. So whatever brothers are delivering this letter we're reading, right? Because they didn't have instant messaging at all. They couldn't just text each other and in a second have the correspondence. They had to, he had to write this letter, give it to some guys. They had to walk it or, or ride horses or whatever over to, to Corinth. And so as they're delivering this letter, Paul's saying here, I wrote this letter so that you will have warning that when we show up, you better be ready to give. And he says, otherwise, verse four, if some Macedonians come with me, Paul's gonna bring some guys from Macedonia with him probably, and they find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated. (laughs) We'd be humiliated because he's going to show up and go, oh no, these Corinthians, they didn't show up. They didn't do it. They didn't raise the money. How embarrassing. And then he says to say nothing of you. He's like, you guys would be embarrassed too. So don't worry. He's like, don't worry just about me. Worry about yourselves. And, and so, so then he said, I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised. So again, he's not talking about something that they haven't already agreed to. They've already agreed to give. But he's, he's just basically trying to press them to follow through with the promise that they made. So, so this is the issue. Like overall, when we're looking at this topic, we're looking at the topic of integrity, right? That's what Paul's calling the Corinthians to be about, to be people of integrity. They said a year ago they were going to give. Now Paul's following up with them and going, are you guys actually going to do this? Are you really going to do this? He's like, because I don't want to show up uh, and, and find that we don't have a willing gift, but rather an, extra, an extraction, essentially. Extraction, basically, I don't want to have to pry your, your money out of your cold, dead fingers here, guys. You promised to do this. Let's follow through. Now, why does that matter? Why does the integrity of the Corinthians matter? Why can't Paul just say, you know, I'm going to come down to Macedonia and, or from Macedonia down to you. And if you guys have something great, I know you said you would, but may, yeah, if you don't follow through, no big deal. I'll just keep going and get down to Jerusalem. Why, why does he press so hard on this issue? Well, I think it, all, it, it really is a gospel issue in Paul's mind. It's an issue that points us back to Christ and who he is. And it really boils down to a word that we're familiar with. It's the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. See, our calling as people who follow Jesus is a calling to be faithful, rooted in who Christ is. 
When we look back at Jesus, he was the most faithful man who ever lived. His faithfulness uh, is, is mentioned in a number of places. We can look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 as one verse that points us here. And he says, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So he's speaking about the incarnation, right? Jesus coming into our world, uh, becoming a man. He's talking about what we just dealt with here at Christmas. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In order for Jesus to have been the faithful high priest that could save us from our sins, he needed to become like we are in every respect. But, but the emphasis in that verse is on the faithfulness and the mercy of Christ. That, that's that's the, the, def, the defining character of Jesus is his faithfulness. In fact, Jesus himself talks about this a little bit in John chapter 13, verse 1, um, where, which says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And chapter 13, of course, is the Passover, uh, where he's his final Passover. He's getting ready to go to the cross. It's just going to be a matter of hours before he's arrested and tried. And John summarizes Jesus' ministry by saying, you know, he loved these disciples and he loved them all the way to the end. And not just his 12, 12 apostles, but all of his disciples, including you and me. We fall into that. He loves us and he loves us to the end. He follows through. He, he actually goes all the way to the cross for us. And so because Paul knows that, he's calling on the Corinthians to live in light of that. That we've been the beneficiaries of the faithfulness of Jesus and because of that our sins are forgiven. And so because of the faithfulness of Christ, we can and should be faithful to live and trust in him. So I, I think for Paul, it's not just a, 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 a you know, we're going to see, actually, we saw in chapter 8, we're going to see again, that generosity is not about prying money from our fingers. It's about uh, our hearts being changed so that we want to give. But our heart change happens as we embrace the gospel and believe what Christ has done for us. And so that's why Paul's going back again and again to this issue of the faithfulness of Christ, and he's calling on them to follow through. So there's the integrity piece. But let's keep going. Let's look at verse 6 through 10. This is uh, talking about the motivation for our giving and for our generosity. Here's what Paul says. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So he uses a farming analogy, right? If you put very few seeds in the ground, you're going to get very few crops, you put a lot in the ground, you're going to get a lot of crops. He says, each must, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, 
He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There's a quotation from Psalm 112. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All right, so Paul here starts to address the motives of giving. And and notice particularly in verse 7. This is where we really want to hone in because this is where he kind of emphasizes the motivation. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Okay, so it's so so the, the desire to be generous is a is a heart thing. We have to say, you know what, my heart wants to do this. And it, it has generosity has literally zero to do with the amount of money we give as to the motivation of why we give. That's that's what you need to hear. Because some of you are in this room and you might go, I have like nothing to give. Well, you do have things to give, maybe not monetary things, but you have things to give. And, and it's not so much about how much, it's about why, it's about the heart, it's about who, who you are trying to, to please in the process. That's, that's where all this comes from. We have to give as we've decided in our heart, not reluctantly, he says, we're under compulsion. So again, we shouldn't be giving because we're being forced to give, Because, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. The motivation of our giving should be cheerfulness. And here's why. Again, I I always want to point you back to the reasons for this. Because I think if if we don't know that these things are rooted in the nature and character of God, we're not going to have the the desire to, to see our lives align with this, right? And so the reason God loves a cheerful giver is because he is a cheerful giver. He's the most cheerful giver there is. There is is no arm twisting that needs to happen for God to give. There is no way that you and I could ever outgive God. Because here's the thing, it's not really ironic, it's just the reality that God actually is the one that gives us what we have to give. And he gives us what we don't have to give, right? He gives, he gives everything. And that's where Paul takes, takes us to in verse 9. He quotes from the Psalms, which says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God is the great, great giver. God gave us his son. We saw that at the beginning of the Advent season where uh, Dwayne talked about John 3.16 um, and that verse is probably the best verse in in all of the scriptures to get us to the point of this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't give his son begrudgingly. He gave Jesus up for us cheerfully because he loves us. And so he is the greatest giver. He's the most cheerful giver and we can never outgive him. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that it was for joy that Christ endured the cross. Think about that. That the cross of Christ, the worst suffering Jesus ever endured, he went to 
with the joy set before him. And what's the joy that was set before him? The joy refers to our salvation. That Jesus went to the cross with joy in his heart, not that he enjoyed the process, but the end game, the, the end result of his sacrifice was what was producing joy in his heart as he went to the cross. He cheerfully, joyfully gave himself even to death for sinners. And so if, if that's the heart of God in this, then that should be our heart as we're transformed by his grace. It should become our heart as we give. We should be giving cheerfully, not begrudgingly, not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, but to say, you know, I can give with joy in my heart because I know how God is such a joyful giver and how much he has given to me. And the fact of the matter is everything you own, everything you have is from him. Your ability to work and earn a living is from him. The gifts that others have bestowed on you out of their own kindness has been given to you from him because he put it on their hearts to give. Whatever it is, it's, it's from Christ. And so we can cheerfully and joyfully give as well. All right. Uh, this last section is verse 11 through 14. We're going to stop at 14, and I'll, I'll take 15 kind of by itself because Paul's just going to bring it all back home uh, for us in that. But let's read 11 through 14. He says, You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. All right, so let's unpack those verses. That's, this is huge. There's tons here. But what he's talking about is the result of generosity. Where does generosity result? Like, what's the end game? Well, the end game here is uh, the, the predominant theme that he keeps bringing up is thanksgiving. That generosity produces thankfulness. See, he says it in verse 11, that as he's talking to the Corinthians about their gift, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So what he's saying is God has given you the riches you have so that you can be generous with those riches and, and, and give them away. And then he says, which through us, and I think he's speaking collectively of us, right? through us he will produce a thanksgiving to God. So, so notice where Paul goes here. Paul is not trying to encourage the Corinthians to give by saying, you know what, they're going to be so grateful for you guys. They're, the church in Jerusalem, when they build their new church building, they'll probably have a whole room just for the Corinthians. He's not saying that. He's not saying, oh, we'll just give, we'll put a little plaque on the wall and say the Corinthians gave this money. No, he's saying the thankfulness that they're going to have is going to be to God. When we give, the thanks is not, a, is not towards us. 
The thanks should be towards God. God gets the glory. God gets the praise for generosity. And that should be enough for us. So the ministry is to, to produce this thanksgiving to God. And then, uh, in, yes, in verse 12, he repeats it again. He says, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, right? So your ministry in giving this gift is going to meet people's needs in Jerusalem, but he says it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So again, he, he repeats it. Thanksgivings to God. And then he says, by their approval of this service, there being, I think, the, the church in Jerusalem, by them receiving this gift from you, they will glorify God because of your submission, because of your willingness to give. And so, so he's saying, so because of what you're doing, they're going to thank God. They're going to glorify God. God gets all the praise in this. So the, the result of our, of our generosity is thankfulness, but not thankfulness to ourselves. Like we, we don't have to give for the attention. In fact, Jesus tells us that if we're giving for attention, we got our reward. That's, that's it. Like, you, all right, someone gave you the attaboy, good for you. Now, that's not the motivation God wants you to have. No, our motivation needs to be to give out, out of a, out of a desire for him to get the glory. And then notice this, I love this. He actually says, he kind of doubles down again on why they're doing this or why they should do this. He says, that, uh, that submission or, or you know, that, that gift you're going to give financially, that comes from, catch this, your confession of the gospel of Christ. The reason you're going to give is because you say you love Jesus and that he saved you from your sins. That's what, that, that, that again gets down to the motivation piece again, but, but, it, but it's all about the result of thankfulness and, and glory to God. So it's the confession of the gospel that leads them there and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So you're going to be motivated by what Christ has done for you they're going to thank and glorify God and they're going to be blessed in the process. And, and then look at this. this. This is kind of cool because Paul says in verse 14, he starts talking about not just the Corinthians having the burden to, to support the church in Jerusalem, but he actually tells them that it's a two-way street. That, that in Christian life and ministry, there is blessing that goes both ways. Even if the one party doesn't have anything monetarily to return, there is, there is blessing that comes from both sides. Look at verse 14. It says, While they, the Jerusalem church, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. See, the church in Jerusalem had nothing to give but they, they loved the Corinthians. They prayed for the Corinthians. See, the Corinthians shouldn't and we shouldn't give thinking that, well, we give to them and then eventually they'll scratch our back because we scratch theirs kind of thing. That's not what it's about. It, it's, but it's about a mutual love, a mutual admiration, a mutual 
uh, desire to help. And you know what? Honestly, the Corinthians didn't need their money, but they definitely needed their prayers. We've been reading through this letter. The Corinthians were the biggest train wreck church, I think, in the New Testament. They were a mess. The one thing that Corinthians needed was the prayers of the church, right? And so they were getting what they needed in that moment. And I just love that. And Paul's saying, hey, guys, they're, you guys may be sending money to them, but they're doing even something more important for you. They're praying for you. And they long for you. They want you to have a, have a dyna- dynamic relationship with Christ through this grace of God that's on you. So we, we're seeing here the, 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 the integrity of giving. Paul says, guys, come through. Pull it out in the end here. Don't, don't, don't fumble this. You have this opportunity. We've been preparing you for a year. I'm sending you guys in advance so that you're ready to go. Let, let's do this. Right? He calls them to that. He calls them to the motivation for their generosity, which is that God gets the glory Uh, or excuse me, that they get to be cheerful in the process and they get to be motivated by the gospel. And then the result is that God gets the glory. But then look at verse 15. This is where Paul ties a nice bow to all of this. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul drives it right back to God as the greatest giver. He says, this is... This is some, what you can do, Corinth. You can give some money to help a church in need. That's what you can do. But let's not forget and let's not cease to thank God for the inexpressible gift of salvation, of the gospel, of Christ himself. This is what he's talking about, right? That we get to be thankful to God whether we have a lot of money in our lives or we have very little money in our lives, we are all blessed beyond measure because of God's great inexpressible gift. And this is what should be driving us towards generosity. It is the generosity of Christ. And he, he just puts this beautifully for us at the end of this passage. He ties it all back together. Of course, the inexpressible gift of Christ that Paul's talking about is beautifully put on display as we talk about the person of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And and this is summarized by Paul elsewhere in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of my favorite verses, which says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, catch this now, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that, that this Son of God, this, this person we, we know as Jesus Christ, loved us and gave himself for us. There's no greater gift. There's no greater joy. And if that's if that's the reality, then what, what's going to prevent us from being generous people? If Jesus wasn't spared for our sake, then why would we spare and, and hold back and, and be stingy for the sake of others? Well, let's open our hearts 
to the needs of others, financially or otherwise. Because remember, we talked, well, like last month, we talked in chapter 8. It's not just about money. Generosity is about our time. It's about our gifting. It's about our abilities. It's about about way more than money. It, It also is about money, too, but it's not just that. Let's find ways to be creative and generous and willing to share because Christ is such a generous Savior. All right, let me pray for us. And then we'll, we'll conclude our, our service with some singing tonight, this, this morning. Sorry, I'm still on Christmas Eve time. So. All right, Jesus, thanks for uh, helping us, help, helping us to hear, helping us to respond. We pray that our hearts would be drawn to you uh, even now, that we would first and foremost reflect on the generosity that you have towards us in your Son and through your Son we pray that, that would, it wouldn't leave us there, but that we would actually be motivated people because of that, to be generous and to look around our, our, our room right here, to look around the community we live in and to find ways to meet needs and to help people. We pray that you would help us do that, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.